Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space, space. space to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped striped, striped boat neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. And now for an inside look at college sports with the men in the know, J.C. and Morgan. Here's Mike Morgan and J.C. Sherbert. Welcome back to another installment of the J.C. and Morgan podcast. He's J.C. Sherbert of 24-7 Sports, and I am Mike Morgan of ESPN and the SEC Network coming to you back. We promised, we didn't lie, that we were going to be back each and every week. We had a little bit of a respite here and there this summer, but we've tried to stay consistent throughout this offseason, uh, mainly because you guys have kind of demanded that. And we appreciate We have, like, record numbers, J.C., for this uh this past podcast, A, people are jonesing for football, and we like that, and and B, obviously they like something what we're doing, so we're not screwing this thing up too badly. So really appreciate that. Appreciate some of our new sponsors. Appreciate our primary sponsor, bpskinnerclothiers.com, nationwide, taking care of everybody's clothing needs, and uh, just thanks for all the uh, good comments and feedback on this. We're going to pick up on a lot of the stuff we talked about last week, JC, and, and that is... Uh, our thoughts and, and and overall assessment of SEC Media Days. We got into some of it. It was too much to get into everything, frankly, in one hour. And then we're going to uh, drift off that because it wasn't just SEC that took place last week. It was ACC and Big 12. I, I, <laughs> I question the motives a little bit about doing that at the same time because I have to think when the ACC Network launches next year, which will be a huge deal, I, I realize... There's going to be critics out there. They're going to want to point out, well, it's not going to be the same uh, launch that the SEC Network was in terms of number of people and uh, outlets, et cetera. But it, it's going to be a huge boost for the for the conference. There's no doubt about that. I imagine next year when they cover this gavel to gavel like the SEC Network does, and, and I'll applaud the guys, some of my coworkers, on an outstanding job doing that, that they would want to do a different week and have their own window as opposed to going head-to-head where the SEC really kind of steals the show. But we'll, we'll delve into both those conferences, uh, Big 12, uh, Big 10, and, and all that good stuff. JC, I want to start off uh, with a little bit of kind of potpourri, if you will, some scatterbrain <laughs> of just some different things that I jotted down that I thought was uh, interesting at the time, and it may or may not still be interesting, but uh, most of the stuff we didn't get to yesterday, just little nuggets that uh, I thought were interesting, and then you can just kind of cherry pick on whatever thing you you find either interesting or not interesting, or you want to comment on, and we'll just go from there. Uh, we'll start with Auburn a little bit, which I think is going to be an intriguing story again all year long, because I, I I just don't think there are that many teams in this league, as good as the SEC is, that are good enough to win the league, because the teams at the top, like an Alabama, like a Georgia, and I'll throw Auburn in there. I think there's a there's a a fairly good gap after that when you start talking about, say, four through ten, which are all good teams. I just don't think they're at that level yet. But Jarrett Stidham sacked 11 times last year versus Clemson. Everybody remember that game? I mean, there was all the hype on Stidham. He goes up against Clemson. We all know Clemson's got 
defensive linemen out the yin-yang, most of which are back this year. But 11 times, it wasn't all Clemson being that good. It wasn't all Auburn's offensive line, which I think will be a question mark this year, that bad. A lot of it was Stidham. Just, the game sped up on him. He needed to, to adjust a little bit to an SEC-type defense, which is what Clemson has. Uh, but then he figured it out toward the end. And I, don't, I think you'll see that this year, even if the Auburn offensive line is porous, which some people have major question marks about it, not a lot of returning starters. Uh, Stidham has a chance to have just an All-American-type season. They lose on Johnson, but they should still be able to run. D is nasty. First true road game is at Mississippi State. That is in week five or six. I think it's week six. I mean, they, they just they don't have to go very far for a while. Uh, of course, they got the big opener against Washington. We'll get back to Auburn in a second. Tennessee and Florida, I, I'm still mesmerized by the fact that both those programs combined for 3-15 and 15 in conference last year. This used to be the premier matchup in September in the SEC that we look forward to every year. I, I hope that we get back to the point where this game is relevant nationally. And I understand it'll probably be the CBS game of the week again. I have to double-check that. Um, but Tennessee and Florida, at least one of these programs has to rise for the Eastern Division to rise, for the East to have more balance with the West, for the conference overall to be better. Uh, Texas A&M last year, 10th in the SEC in defense. I used the term last week to describe Texas A&M under Kevin Sumlin. I think the word was out that they were soft. I think a lot of people looked at A&M as soft. They never wound up stopping the run. Why that is, don't know. You would think with all the talent that they can get at College Station that they would be able to do that. We'll see if that uh, changes with the new coordinator, of course, Jimbo Fisher, the new head coach. How about a little uh, scheduling uh, issue? It's, it's brought up every year. Will the SEC ever go to nine? If you listen to Greg Sankey, uh, with all due respect to Nick Saban, and to Gus Malzahn, who were somewhat open to the fact they wouldn't mind a nine-game schedule, there is no reason to believe that's going to change anytime soon. The 6-1-1 model, it seems like it's entrenched. By that, I mean six divisional games, uh, one permanent opposite division opponent or interdivision opponent, and one flex. A lot of people don't like that. It doesn't seem like it's going to change anytime soon. Six new SEC coaches, that is a record of course, Dan Mullen is also a returning SEC coach, but a new stop. Matt Canada, last year, handcuffed on offense. So what do they do? They bring in Steve Emsminger, Coach O, who's known him since 1979. He's been on the staff seven years. He's watched seven years of bad offense. They're calling on him to fix it. Good luck with that. They still have Dave Aranda, one of the top coordinators in college football. Devin White is a stud, folks. Look out for number 40 in Death Valley. Joe Burrow. Could be his job to lose just 10 games at Ohio State. LSU, by the way, very quietly, although not quite to the folks there, they've lost six in a row to Alabama. There was a time that was a pretty even matchup. Chad Morris at Arkansas, excitement, fast, fast, fast. 75 points, plays per game, rather, at SMU. Last year, Arkansas had 68. Doesn't sound like much, but seven plays per game over the course of a season. That's about 90 for the year. John Chavis, what has happened to his stock? Can he get it back? Dan Mullen, nine years in Stark Vegas, 4-7 and seven team last year, Florida was a year ago. Jordan Scarlett back from suspension. Ole Miss, they, they've been playing Big 12 defense here. Can they get back? Arkansas, Big 12 defense. Can they ever get to the point where they're formidable on defense? No reason A&M should be a Big 12 defense, even though they used to play in the Big 12. Jalen Hurts, 26-2 and two is a starter, but as we all know, everybody right now is on Tua, although there are some pretty big names now that are hinting at Jalen Hurts winning that job. I disagree. 
I Finally, I would say uh, this is an interesting number if you're into the whole rules thing. 2.1 reviews per game last year. People complained sometimes about the number of reviews. One overturn per game, average time per review, one minute, 11 seconds. That from Steve Shaw, the coordinator of football officials. Those are just some little tidbits, some little nuggets. JC, you have the floor. There, That's a lot to unpack right there. I'm going to start <laughs> with the reviews. I think people need to be quiet about that and I also think people need to be quiet about the length of college football games in general Mike we sit around you know there's only 12 of them guaranteed for your team per year you know 13 14 15 you obviously can have we sit around for 353 to 350 days talking about everything under the sun concerning our teams or the teams that we follow or cover or whatever or the sport in general Uh, and we finally get to Saturdays and we complain that the games are too long. Mm. Come on, man. Come on, man. I mean, you know, uh, the one year I remember Mark Rick talked about it was in the early 2000s. That they sped it up too much, and then they went back to the old rules. Um, he's like, that just kind of – and Mark Rick, if you really listen to him sometimes, uh, he's a wise man. Obviously, he taught everybody at ACC Media Days last week how the proper way to eat a sandwich. <laughs> and I, I want to say his sandwich eating uh, advice is on point. I've tried it, Coach Rick, and and you were a genius as far as that goes. Okay. So, um, you know, I'm I'm not in favor of complaining about the reviews. I I think you can complain about a certain review or a call that is made (laughs) and disagree with it, but the time it takes, it's nothing really compared to the NFL. And I'll tell you where it's long, Mike. It's long when you're sitting in the stands. Uh, Mm -hmm. On TV, it's really not that bad. You kind of go to commercial, you get up and get a beverage or or get some snacks and come back, and yeah, you're right back there with football. When you're in the stands, it's kind of one of those where, you know, the game just stops. And then there's the silence, Mm -hmm. and then the band may play, and then a cheer may have, but it stops, and everybody's kind of got their breath. It's almost like the moment before a pitch in baseball. So I understand those that are at the game – you know, probably say, hey, let's hurry it up a little bit, blah, 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 because they're impatient. We live in an impatient world. Um, as far as Texas A&M and Arkansas both go, I think these two teams, Mike, are heading in opposite directions on defense, and it's funny because Chavis went from A&M to Arkansas now. Uh, I think this year Arkansas maybe they have some players, when you think about Greenlaw and some of those guys on defense. Um, I don't know what the answer is at quarterback for them. I know Chad Morris can manufacture offense. I know he took over a horrible situation at SMU uh, and won. You know, they won some games. His overall record wasn't great. I understand the criticism there, but it's SMU, and you have to understand it was a dumpster fire to the nth degree when he took that over, and I think he did a pretty good job. Um, I think Arkansas is going to be, uh, and hopefully if you're a Razorback fan, uh, you know, without the softness because – you know, if you look through the history of the Arkansas program, soft is not something you would use to describe the Razorbacks um, just throughout time. Uh, Houston Nuts teams were tough. Even Bobby Petrino's teams, uh, as much as they threw it around and were kind of finesse, they were tough, hard-nosed teams. Um, you think back to the Ken Hatfield days, the stays in Southwest Conference, you know, Lou Holtz coached there, you know, and, and of course, Frank Broyles. Those teams were all physical. That's the DNA of that program. So this is a departure from the DNA, but I think if you look at Chad Morrison, sort of how he he watched Clemson evolve during his time there, 
you know, Clemson's done it on both sides of the ball. So I think if, as long as he follows that sort of path, uh, I, I think it can happen and unfold for him in a good way. So maybe they're the Texas A&M in the future, but they'll have a defense. Uh, you know, I think Jimbo Fisher with the Mike Elko hire, Mike Elko is a guy that schemed up great defenses at Wake Forest. Mm-hmm. I repeat, schemed up great defenses at Wake Forest. They hired him away from Notre Dame. This this was a brilliant hire by Jimbo Fisher because I don't feel like after the departure of Mark Stoops at FSU, and they were overwhelmingly talented at times, I don't feel like Jimbo Fisher ever kind of got what he wanted uh, out of his defense. Maybe the exception was, was when Jeremy Pruitt was there. Um, you know, maybe not. Obviously, Pruitt, I think, was part of that national championship team. Um, but, you know, I, I think that uh, – Hiring a guy like Elko to handle the offense out there, or the defense out there is good. And I'll say this, Mike, Texas A&M has some talent on the defensive side of the ball. You know, people are going to talk about their offense and they return skill talent galore. You know, guys like Jamon Osmond, that's a name to keep an eye on, folks. Uh, Osmond was great, I think, as a true freshman last year. I think he'll be even better this year. Um, but you kind of look at them, you know, they've got a guy like Landis Durham, quick defensive end, Kingsley Kiki on the inside. Michael Clemens is a good player. Uh, Otara Alaka at weak side linebacker is outstanding. Uh, in the secondary, Larry Pryor has had a good couple of years. Miles Jones, uh, Deshaun Caper-Smith, uh, backed up by a guy like Rodney Elam. They have some the parts to where if they're not going a million miles an hour on offense and they can settle in and play some D, um, I think they could be improved on that side of the ball. I'm just curious to see what Jimbo Fisher does offensively. Is he going to slow it down a little bit? I mean, he's a great play caller. He runs a great system. But those guys are used to going fast. That You know, keep in mind the high schools in the state of Texas all run what Kevin Sumlin was running. Very few of them run what Jimbo Fisher likes to run. You know, so that's kind of my thing right there. I'm going to say Tennessee and Florida. We've talked about this, Mike. This is our third year, I believe, having this podcast. We talk Mm -hmm. about this every single year, how it's better when Tennessee and Florida are up. I agree that it is. But listen, and I'm not trying to sound like a homer here, but think you got to think about this. South Carolina has been good now since 2010, and they've been better than Tennessee and Florida, if you look at the overall record. Now, Florida does have two division titles. They won under McIlwain while South Carolina was going through an Auburn-type rebuild. People are like, well, South Carolina was 3-9. and nine. Uh, The bottom fell out after Spurrier left. Muschamp's got a rebuilding job. But they weren't down for very long. They go 3-9, and nine, then they go 6-6. Six and six. Well, Auburn's gone 3-9, and nine, and they've also gone 6-6, six and 7-6 six, and six this decade. Um, and they got right back up. I've always thought Auburn was kind of the plan South Carolina needed to sort of follow. I think right now uh, South Carolina's roster is on par with Florida's. I think it is significantly better than Tennessee's. And, and I think that, you know, once you see sort of a changing of the guard over the course of a decade, at that point, you know, you can't just sit there and go, well, you know, Tennessee's fundamentally, you know, the traditional power in this in this division. I think at some point you got to look at the Gamecocks and say, well, Tennessee's got to catch them before they worry about winning division titles and all that good stuff. So I think that, um, you know, when you look at that, I, to, to me, the Vols have a lot to show me. I think Jeremy Pruitt absolutely is going to recruit enough talent to be the right hire there. They're going to have to change the culture. Um, 
And, and, and somebody in that athletic department needs to quit scheduling ridiculous out-of-conference games. When you have Alabama as your permanent opponent every single year from the West, give me four cupcakes, baby. You're not <laughs> – I mean, you haven't won a division since 07. Uh, Butch Jones got to nine and then went backward. Okay, stop scheduling these kickoff games. There's no reason for West Virginia to be on the schedule. There was no reason for Oregon to be on the schedule. Stop scheduling them. You play, This is a year now you have to play Alabama and Auburn in the same year. A few years ago when LSU was on top, you had to play Alabama and LSU in the same season. And you had to play them both last year. Alabama, as long as they're the program that they are, and there's no reason why they're not going to be as long as Saban's there, that's your basically tough out-of-conference game. Schedule UNC, Charlotte, East Tennessee, which are on the schedule this year. Maybe maybe play a Western Kentucky. But, but man, quit scheduling West Virginia. There's no reason that West Virginia should be in the year one or, or year zero situation uh, on the schedule. They're going over to Charlotte. I guarantee there will be a lot of fans there. Both fan bases will show up. It's a regional matchup that makes sense. But, you know, quit scheduling these guys. Man, I mean, if you got Alabama plus the SEC every year, you know, things can go south in a hurry. And the thing, Mike, that gets me is it all comes in the middle, you know, because they got Florida and Georgia early in the conference schedule because it's always been set up like this where they end up with Tennessee, Vandy, South Carolina, Kentucky at the end. And, and, and this was intentional, you know, I believe, when, when they were kind of doing this. So, so you're looking at it where they're going to probably start two and six, and we won't really know if, if they're a decent football team uh, or not. Um, as far as Auburn goes, Mike, you know, you mentioned them. Uh, I do think they have to – I know there's a concern in the run game heading into this season, and, and I think Gus Malzahn's offense is good enough to manufacture run game. I don't think it's really that good, though, if your offensive line is not super-duper. Um, you know, there, there's some guys like Caleb Kim that I like. Markel Harrell is a player as a redshirt junior that I scouted as a recruit that I thought was pretty good. Um, the, the best name I think on this entire offensive line is second string left guard, Brodarius Ham. That's an all name guy there. Brodarius <laughs> Ham. I, I love it. Um, you know, and, and this kid, Prince Salmons, they have coming in. Uh, or came in as, as a redshirt sophomore, I think can end up, I think, pushing maybe at another tackle spot. And Calvin Ashley was one of the top recruits in the country. So it may end up being, Mike, that guys like Brodarius Ham and Calvin Ashley uh, end up being the starters sort of as we move forward. Love their receiving core. Ryan Davis, underrated player. Darius Slayton, very fast. Nate Craig Myers obviously was the, the big-time recruit that they got. Um, but then I love Will Hastings as well. Um, you know, he, he's like a poor man's kind of uh, slot guy that you can put out there. Chandler Cox is a weapon in this system. Um, and, and I think that when you look at it from that standpoint, uh, you know, they have some pieces. Now, who, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Whitlow? Uh, is it going to be Cam Martin? Uh, is Devin Barrett going to step in? How about big Malik Miller? You know, who, who is going to be the guy to tote the load at running back? Um you know, for the Auburn Tigers this year. I agree with you, too, is going to start, um, you know, looking around LSU. I, I, I just keep thinking LSU is going to be better than people give them credit for. And I know I'm kind of on the other side of the Ed Orgeron debate from you, um, mm -hmm. but I, I think that sometimes old dogs can learn new tricks. 
Uh, and I'll tell you, uh, and to use a, uh, this is not a South Carolina reference, even though this guy coaches at South Carolina right now. Dan Warner, when he was the OC at Miami, and I think the OC under Orgeron early at Ole Miss, pro-style offensive guy. I just saw some garbage offenses he put out there. Total pro-style guy, Coach Gino Toretta at the U. That That's kind of where his background was. Well, before he got to Ole Miss the second time under Hugh Freeze, he decided to go learn the spread and the, and the tempo and the RPO game and, and all these modern things. And the guy had record-setting offenses at Ole Miss with Freeze as the head coach for several, several years and also developed quarterbacks. So sometimes, my point is, sometimes old dogs can learn new tricks. And, and, and I think that when you look at how Orgeron's interim year ended, and Orgeron, by the way, I don't care if he gets fired after the first three games this year or not. Best interim head coach in the country, I think. If you want an interim head coach, <laughs> hire Ed Orgeron because you're going to win. My Is there man, an award for that? My man's 12-4 and four at SC at LSU as, as an interim head coach. So, um, you you got a, you got a bad situation? Call Ed Orgeron. I'll come in and take over your team and win some games. Um, you know, so I, I think that when you look at that, you know, they put 54 up on A&M that year with Insminger calling the ball plays, um, shut out by Alabama, and not a very creative game plan. But but I think it, it's going to be fascinating to me, and we'll see it week one, and we're going to talk about big games later because they play Miami right off the bat. Um, you know, I, I have a feeling they're going to be a little bit better. As far as Jalen Hurts goes, I think I mentioned this, I do agree Tua is going to start. Uh, I just can't see them not starting him. But, you know, there may be a situation where Hurts starts and Tua comes in after the first series or, or whatever. It's going to be fascinating to see how Nick Saban manages that. But one thing I've learned about Nick Saban with these quarterback situations is sometimes, yeah, you may start the veteran or you may start the guy, the incumbent or whatever, but sooner or later the best guy is going to play and the other guy's not. So that's my take on that. Yeah, I I think Nick's almost found himself in a 1990s Spurrier-like situation where he likes the fact that if somebody's not doing what he wants, he, he's got plan B ready. So he wants to keep both those guys going. It's pretty much too late in the game for Jalen Hurts to transfer. He might wait till the end of the year, but we're the, the, the clock has already ticked down so far where I can't imagine uh, if he doesn't get the starting job. And again, I don't think he will. I know there's been some rather... Uh, heavy national pundits that have weighed on the opposite side and sometimes i wonder if they're just looking for for clicks or attention or what i know it's a slow time of year and saying certain things will will get you in some some headlines but do you really believe jalen hurts is going to start do you really believe that uh jake Fromm is not going to start for georgia or you just kind of i mean but but there are people saying that i mean there are people throwing that out there now and i'm just like come on i mean i know it's a slow time of year but (laughs) let's stop the let's stop the madness here you're not gonna you're not gonna bench a guy who just led your team with a national championship, and, and in the case of Hertz, it is unique because I mentioned that record as a starter. But you know what? To put that stat in perspective, that game that Tua was obviously the hero, making the key pass on second and twenty six, leading his team to three touchdowns. Uh, technically, that win as a starter goes to Jalen Hurts, but as we all know, Tua was the hero of the game. So 
I don't want to. I don't want to ignore everything Jalen Hurts did. I, I I'm not anti Jalen Hurts at all. In fact, there was there were times last year where I really thought he came up big in a couple of key spots that Alabama was behind the eight ball. Mm-hmm. But you know, but I, I just uh, the, the the you can't do everything you want to do if you're Alabama with him as your quarterback compared to Tua. And I think Nick Saban, one thing I've always given, well, there's a lot of things I've given Nick Saban credit for, is that he's willing and able and maybe even at times humble enough to adjust. We have gone through decades and decades of coaches who, and I'm talking about good Hall of Fame type coaches, that the moment that the game starts changing and they're forced to change themselves, their philosophy and how they do things, they get passed up. Okay, the times pass them by. Nick Saban refuses to be that guy. I mean, I mean, his first choice in his gut, he doesn't want to be throwing the ball down the field, throwing the ball 30 times a game, risking turnovers. He wants to be ball control. He wants to be low turnover, win games on defense. But college football is not just one that way anymore. I don't care how good your defense is. You are going to get into a couple of shootouts throughout the season. And Alabama did last year. They didn't win every game giving up just 12 points a game. That's not you can't do that. I don't care. You could have the you could have 11 All-Americans out there. The way college football is played, the way it is officiated, the rules, everything else, at some point the 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 dynamic offenses, you're going to run into two, three, four buzzsaws where even a great defense gives up 30 or more a game. And when that when a game gets out of hand like that and if you got Jalen Hurts in there, you're you're not coming back very often. You're just you're not going to come back from say 14 down. I realize that's rare for Alabama, but it can and has happened before. And I think Nick realizes that, and that's why I'm staying with Tua. Yeah, you, you said a mouthful, so I want to get. You said a lot of good stuff. I want I want to hit on as many things as I can. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I got one one more thing about this. Yeah. That, that people aren't talking about about uh, Alabama's offense this year and how the quarterback situation may shake out. The, the offensive coordinator at Alabama now is Mike Loxley. Um, the scheme itself is not going to change a whole lot, but Loxley is a guy that historically, you remember he, he coached Juice Williams at, uh, Illinois and had a lot of running quarterbacks at Maryland during his time there. He's a guy that's not afraid to run the quarterback. Can you imagine, Mike, you're a defensive coordinator and you got to stop Tua and all those receivers and those big backs and they're out there kind of in a fast pace, not, not a super fast tempo, but a, a team that, you know, they're kind of running their stuff at a brisk pace and throwing it and running it and throwing it and running it. And then, okay, third series, here's a zone read package with Jalen Hurts, and you've got to stop their designed quarterback run game. How about in the red zone when, you know, you're, you're you know, second and seven, second goal from the seven, and you've got you – know, here, here comes Jalen Hurts. Well, is he going to run? Is he going to pass? Is he going to hand it off? What's he going to do? You know, so so I can see based on kind of what I expect to be an expansion of concepts within the Alabama offense uh, under Locksley, I can see a two quarterback system working. Um, but you know, you never know. I mean, Nick's even. I mean, you know, it may not be that Hertz is even there uh, if he loses the job. So. Well, and and I and I think too. One thing, whoever's under center or in the gun. Uh, you're not going to be able to just lock down on Calvin Ridley every play. And and that's what got Jalen Hurts in trouble. And eventually, of course, defensive coordinator, coordinators in this league, they're not dumb. 
uh, Calvin Ridley was an NFL talent. He, he caught 20, 63 passes. He would have caught more probably with a, a different offense and a different quarterback. But if Calvin Ridley was covered, Jalen Hurts was not going to make the adjustment and, and find some other guys and make the plays that you need sometimes at this level to be a, a national championship quarterback. I, I, I just I didn't see it. Uh, and you don't have Calvin Ridley this year. Now, look, they've always got talent, and they've they've got the Judys and the Rugs of the world and Smith, and they'll, they'll have guys probably use the tight end a little bit more this year. Uh, but at some point now, you don't have Calvin Ridley to just kind of lock down on, on virtually every passing play. That'll be something uh, else that, that Alabama will uh, adjust to. But, I again, I, I think just – it's it's not just judging it on one half. I realize people that just say, "Oh, come on now," he came in. Nobody had a chance to to, to scout him because nobody was expecting him to come off the bench and play. Uh, defenses will adjust. Let's not let's not jump the gun on just how good Tua is. Look, you know this, JC, being the recruiting guy, you are. Tua was not just like some three star kid that you know it was like Rudy over there. He he <laughs> he was a very hyped up kid. There were people talking about him in the fall. And I thought it was, you know, just heresy to even imply that he could push Jalen Hurts at all. But there were people in the fall that were saying, that's your best quarterback right there. Might not win the job, probably won't, but that's your best overall talent. So I I just think that's going to shine. Is Nick going to have to deal with a few more turnovers? Probably. Probably, because he's going to take more chances than Jalen Hurts will. And the offensive playbook might be a little more risky than it was last year. But I, I, I just, to me... Two has got a chance to be a, a true, legit, game-changing guy at that position. And sometimes, believe it or not, even Alabama needs a quarterback to make some game-changing plays. Uh, to go back to the Florida-Tennessee thing, just so I'm clear, I'm not saying Florida or Tennessee needs to be good at South Carolina's expense. I'm saying I'm kind of assuming – that Will Muschamp and company are going to keep this going. Maybe not. The weird thing about South Carolina this year, you could win eight games, and to me that's not regressing. They won nine games a year ago. Uh, they won a lot of close games. They, they, they won a lot of games on turnover margin, which, as we all know, yes, yeah, some of that is, is based on talent and coaching, but uh, some of it is also just, I don't want to say luck, but it's one of those intangibles that you can't predict. South Carolina could easily go eight and four, eight and five this year, and still have a very good year under Will Muschamp. And I would still look at it as that program is on the rise and in good shape. And I think it is. I, I don't see any dip coming. But what I think the East has to have is they have to have somebody else. It can't just be George at the top. And South Carolina is that good story that everybody kind of falls in love with. And by the way, don't overlook the fact they were picked second. So I don't want to hear any Gamecock fans saying we don't get any respect. They were picked <laughs> second over Florida. Okay, They were picked second over a Florida team that a lot of people do believe is more talented if they had an actual quarterback. So clearly people are on the Bentley bandwagon, the Gamecock bandwagon, the Debo Samuel bandwagon, the Will Muschamp bandwagon. There's no lack of love for the Gamecocks. Let's get that straight. I've heard very little negative and a whole lot of positive about what South Carolina has going on right now. But the East, look, Vanderbilt, we know that the challenges that face Vanderbilt, no matter who the coach is. We know the challenges that face Kentucky. We know the challenges that face Missouri. Okay, but Florida and Tennessee, to me, are what I call volcano programs. And by that, I mean, eventually they're going to erupt again. There's just too much in place, too much they have to their advantage 
where they shouldn't be bad for an extended amount of time. Now, sometimes these rules are made to be broken. And sometimes elite programs and programs with all the money, all the facilities, all the tradition, all the coaching, for whatever reason, it just doesn't work for a while. I think it's time for at least one of those to figure it out and stop being mediocre and start being a power again. Uh, clearly, Florida's uh, uh, they're in better shape. The program was left in better shape than it was for what Coach, <clears throat> excuse me, what Tennessee has inherited uh, in Knoxville. I, I just don't think that when you're looking with what Jeremy Pruitt has there, there's just not a lot. They, they're going to be fortunate. They can somehow squeeze out six wins and a bowl game, but that's going to be really tough. One other thing on Auburn, you were talking about them. Carryon Johnson has gone nine straight years, a thousand yard rusher when Gus, uh, when Gus Malzahn's been there, either as a head coach or an assistant. In other words, I don't think Auburn's going to struggle to run the football. I've heard a lot of that. What are they going to do without Carryon Johnson? Who's going to be, the, I'm not worried about it at all. Um, Auburn's going to run. But I, I would like to see a little more pass protection for Jarrett Stidham. I want to see what he can do with a, an offensive line that blocks consistently for him. If they're going to truly contend for another Western Division championship and another SEC championship, which, of course, they wound up losing to Georgia and Atlanta, that, that to me is going to be the ultimate. Everything else I like. I mean, I love Kevin Steele coaching the defense. I love their front seven. I, I love Stidham. I know they're going to get uh, production out of their backs in that offense. As you mentioned, I like their receivers. All good, all good, all good. Uh, and one other thing, just on the replay system, and we could do a whole a segment on this. I agree with you. I don't sit there and watch a game or broadcast a game or not a whole lot of games I attend anymore. It's just a fan. But I, I don't sit there and complain about the length of the game. One thing Steve Shaw did mention, it, it the, the biggest complaint is just the, the inactivity. And you, you touched upon this, J.C., it, it's just the nothing's going on. And they are going to now speed it up where when you score a touchdown, you got 40 seconds. To, you want to go ahead and celebrate, do your little dance, do, jump on each other? you got 40 seconds to get that extra point through or that two-point conversion through. Um, speed up that. I'll never believe you need 20 minutes for halftime, but that's a discussion I'm never going to win because <laughs> people love bands, and you don't mess with band people. I don't, I don't mess with no. band people. They're a very uh, enthusiastic bunch, very passionate bunch, and I, I, I just don't mess with them. So uh, the, if you're going to stay with a 20-minute halftime, which I've never been a huge fan of, uh, it, college football is always going to be longer, and they're always going to stop clock on first down. I don't see that changing anytime soon. I do think I would love to see a challenge system. Uh, I don't think we need to spend time in the first quarter of a game a replay on a second-and-one measurement. You know, I, I, I just on a second and inches, you know, to where let's let's review that and make sure that he got it so we don't have to wait an extra what down before he does get the six inches for the first down. I think sometimes there's too many inconsequential plays that we we bog down the game reviewing. I would just assume let's go ahead and review the, the real impact plays. Coaches will never go for this because they don't want the pressure of it. Well, too bad. That's why you're paid millions of dollars. It adds some strategy to the game. It doesn't slow it down as much. Uh, it makes the replays more impactful as opposed to just haphazard. I would like to see that. Don't think we're close to getting there. I think the coaches would have a hissy fit if that was actually on the table. But I, I do think one of the things Steve Shaw said that was encouraging, they're trying to get rid of just the dead time. That's the big criticism of baseball. 
the dead time, the dead time, the dead time. When you're seeing a bunch of plays in college football, if I watch a college football game and there are 165 plays and the game goes three hours and 40 minutes, I'm, I'm thoroughly entertained and you won't hear me complain one iota. I think that's about everything that you hit on that I that I wanted to, to comment on. Really good stuff all around on media days. And uh, with that, before we delve into some other conferences, we'll take a quick time out here, hear from some of the sponsors. Be right back with more in just a moment. All right, JC. So we've hit on the, the Southeastern Conference. Oh, by the way, the ACC media days went on concurrently. <laughs> and uh, Commissioner Swafford, uh, all the coaches. And I will say this. If you've ever been to an ACC media day, the access there is incredible. Mm-hmm, I mean, they yeah. do a terrific job. It's just so much more laid back. Uh, there's not nearly as many people there. You get a chance to just kind of sit back chat with the coach it's more like just you know sitting at the bar and bellying up and having a couple of cool ones and so and saying uh so uh hey coach uh hey Dabo what has the family what's going on how do you feel about this season it's just a different vibe altogether I do like that uh common themes JC you know the obvious one is can anybody dethrone Clemson it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of nominees for that one you know if you look at who the next best team is there most people, I think, would say Miami. Some would say Florida State. And after that, maybe a significant drop-off. The, the, what I heard, you know, and some of this might sound a little uh, on the propaganda uh, front, but from what I heard from people that certainly want the ACC to do very well this year and in years uh, moving ahead, is that, oh, the league is deeper, the league is deeper, the league is deeper, we're better, we're better, we're better. I, I want to believe that. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I want to see it. I, I want to see where everybody else is, because I, I know what Clemson can do. I know what Florida State and Miami, when they're right, what they can do. I don't know how to feel about NC State. I don't know how to feel about the direction of North Carolina as a program. I love Justin Fuente at Virginia Tech. I should mention them as well. I think Virginia Tech's on solid ground. You want to talk about a smooth transition from Frank Beamer, a Hall of Fame coach, to another guy who's who's a really, really good coach. That was a, that was a perfect hire. And it's great to see Virginia Tech has not taken a major step back. But once you get past those first four teams or so, JC, I, I don't know what to make of the ACC this year. What do you think? I, I will say this. I, I agree that the league is deeper in terms of some of the teams that weren't very good are getting better. Um, and, and I'll give you an example. You know, Boston College. You know, Adazio, everybody was kind of worried about him. You know, they're going to play some solid football this year. Syracuse has had its moments. Wake Forest, um, amazingly to me, is doing well under Dave Clawson. Uh, I had a, an assistant at a uh, power ACC Atlantic program uh, relay that um, Wake Forest was one of the hardest teams that they had to scheme up for defensively last year. So they're well coached. The claw fence as they called it when he was the OC at Tennessee, is giving people the indigestion uh, at some powerful schools. I I think what Willie – I've always wanted to see, Mike, what would happen if at Florida State or Miami somebody went into one of those schools and ran crazy up-tempo offense. Um, Willie Taggart, I think, has, you know, not a thick playbook. He just runs them over and over at a quick tempo. Uh, those teams in Florida have a lot of speed. But if you look historically, you know, the only guy that really fun and gunned it or that brought anything dynamic, only two coaches at the big three schools down there were Spurrier and Urban Meyer at Florida. 
And Urban's was more of a, a zone read, read option kind of deal with a running quarterback. Um, and Spurrier, you know, certainly wasn't doing anything like we see these days at a, you know, Washington State or an Oregon or someplace like that. So, you know, Taggart's Gulf Coast offense, as they called it, uh, is going to be fascinating to kind of watch with Florida State's personnel um, because, you know, they've tr- traditionally been a pro-style team. You know, they, they, you know I, I guess in the 90, early 90s, they had the fast break, but the spread still kind they of had a, a true pro style tr- kind of deal. Yeah. They had a, a true spread. I mean, even when Brad Scott was running it and then Mark Rick, when we had Charlie, when they had Charlie Ward and Warwick yeah. Dunn and McCorvey and Knox on the outs, they were the one of the first to just go shotgun, four wide, one back, and throw a ton of balls out there and, and racked up a ton of yards and points. Yeah, and then, as you mentioned, yeah, dominated. I mean, team of the '90s in a lot of ways. Uh, although obviously Nebraska would have something to say about that. But 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 certainly that changed under Jimbo, and and, and it worked differently under Jimbo. And Jimbo was 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 very successful there in, in his own right. But I'm with you. I, I I the Willie Taggart hire. I was very curious to see the response on that. Um, and I've I've met Willie Taggart. I, I called uh, one of his games when he was at Western. And they played at Alabama. Incredibly confident, borderline arrogant. Uh, he had to know they were going to get spanked, and they did. But he still talked as if they were going to knock him down. And I'm Willie Taggart, and look, he's got that Florida swag, and that's great. Um, but I, I, you know, I talked to some Florida State fans while the media pr- praised and cherished this hire. Uh, some Florida State fans out there weren't exactly overwhelmed by going from Jimbo Fisher with his track record. As opposed to Willie Taggart at his, so I, I that's going to be that love affair. You know, it was a love affair when when Texas hired Charlie Strong. It was a, it was a love affair when Texas A and M hired Kevin Sumlin. I want to see how long that love affair lasts in Tallahassee, because as much as Jimbo Fisher was kind of hated on the way out, the way he handled everything, and they were tired of just you know watching Jimbo play footsies with other jobs out there other ADs and other schools. Look, Jimbo did a lot of good things, and, and there's no doubting Jimbo's a good football coach. Willie Taggart, to me, is something to prove at this level. And a, a couple of mediocre years, and I promise you, that, that fan base will be all over him. Well, yeah, it is the third coach they've had since the 60s. I mean, you know, you just don't, you know, they're not used to change like that. Um, I'll, I'll say this about Willie Taggart. Uh, I think – his rise has a lot to do with, with sort of um, his background with under Harbaugh and, and then what he did at, at Western. But, you know, he's been three places that have had success before, Western Kentucky, South Florida, and Oregon. Um, and Oregon, he was only there one year. And, and, you know, they improved over the last year of the Helfrich era, but, you know, they weren't great. They, they scored a grand total of ten points against the – the Pirate and the Washington State Cougars that don't typically have dominant defenses at home. Um, and he's 47 and 50 overall. Uh, I think, you know, because of his background at Stanford uh, and the fact that he was part of that rise, which deserved a lot of love from the national media, he gets a lot of love from the national media. I mean, you know, you're, you're sitting there talking about coaches, you know, who, who should we hire? Oh, 
Willie Taggart. Hire Willie Taggart. Willie Taggart. You know, and then you hear that over and over and over again from some of the national media boys. I won't name their name. And, and you just kind of wonder, you know, how many beers have you had with Willie Taggart? <laughs> Right. You know, I, I mean, I, I need <laughs> how long to meet, have you been buds? I'd like to meet Willie Taggart because he sounds like a hell of a guy. But, oh, yeah. You know, I'd like to have a beer with him. You're talking about Florida State, man. I mean, and you're talking about the third hire in history. Now, that being said, I am intrigued to see sort of how his offense works at a power school because, you know, you talk about going 90 miles an hour at Oregon. Well, duh, that's what they do at Oregon. That's what they've done for years. Um, Florida State. They haven't, but I've always been really interested to see what would happen if they would. You know, either it's going to be a catastrophic failure, and we're going to be talking about who the next head coach at Florida State is going to be again in three years, and they're about to go into what I call the wilderness, or you're going to see them score in the 50s at will against some of these ACC defenses. So, I, you know, I was skeptical of the hire. I've always been skeptical of him as a coach. Uh, thought that I thought that from the moment that, you know, he took over for Skip Holtz at South Florida, and I think he lost to McNeese State 53-21 to in his debut at USF, and USF should have been better. Now he figured it out and turned it around, installed a new offense, and away they go. And their last last team was great. But that that's kind of my thing about him. I, I, I'm, a, I'm skeptical just like you are. Um, as far as that goes, now, now, now we talk, let's get back to this ACC has more depth thing, right? Um, and like I said, I'm with you there, uh, or with the the narrative about that, but it's not a, a league where you're going to look at it and go like like the the SEC, um, I think has you know quality depth um, compared to maybe two years ago. Uh, but there are three teams in that league right now that you look at. You look at their roster and their personnel and say, well, if they get through their schedule and win the league or, or get have one loss, you know, they could win a national championship. There is one team in the ACC that I think is even close or, or that I think you should even have in the conversation, and that's Clemson. And I think Clemson is a top three, pro, top, top three team this year. I think I think Clemson will probably not be challenged uh, in the ACC this year. I think Miami, with their schedule, is going to run up double-digit wins because they don't really play anybody. Um, Florida State's going to be intriguing, uh, and you look at the, the the other division. You know, Miami will probably win it. You know, Virginia Tech losing those defensive backs that they lost to that kicked off the team. Mook Reynolds is one of them. That's. That's going to be problematic for the Hokies as far as their defensive personnel goes. You know, a lot of people think Pitt's going to be a sleeper. You know, but you look at it, Mike, Virginia got better last year under Bronco Mendenhall. You know, North Carolina may be headed to the abyss. We don't know. Georgia Tech, mm. ugh. You know, Duke, Duke is Duke. You know, I mean, they're, they're going to be real solid under under David Cutcliffe. So you kind of look around the league and, you know, there, there, there's not any, any teams – we're talking about this year where you go, hey, you know, these guys suck. <laughs> you know, they're really, they're really not. You know, there's not going to be a lot of losses to Kent State this year about or, or teams they shouldn't lose to. But then at the same time, you don't really turn look around the league and go, man, the ACC is a bloodbath this year. Right. And, and, and that's – I, I think – that was being pitched a little bit. And look, I 
I agree the middle of the league. There was a time, and I, and I appreciated this moment of candor. I, I heard an interview with John Swafford, and he was talking to a couple guys on radio and saying, look, I got to admit, there was a time as commissioner when I would look at some of the matchups on our schedule, conference games, and I'd have a hard time trying to sell the, <laughs> the matchup itself, the teams playing. We, we, there were just a lot of bad teams. You know, you go back all the way to when, when FSU joined the league in, what, 92? Um, people used to call it uh, Florida State and the Eight Dwarfs, right? Because it was a nine-team league at that point. Florida State was really good, playing for national titles. North Carolina had a couple of years under Mac Brown and then get, returned back to being a basketball school. And everybody else was just average to awful. Well, now Duke, David Cutcliffe, tremendous job. Wake Forest, uh, relevant uh, again for the first time since Jim Grobe. Uh, you know, a lot of people think that's just an unwinnable job, but, uh, but it, it, it's happening there. You know, I mean, it's great to see. NC State's that program that, you know, it's always like they're, they're so close, but they're so far away. And they get every year, it seems like they've got a first-round draft pick. And this year they got a great quarterback and Ryan Finley, probably the best quarterback in the league. Um, but I, I, never feel, I never feel confident in NC State overall in terms of are they really going to make a push for the conference crown. Usually they give you a heartbreaking loss. And then when they play the, the cream of the crop – and people expect them to be good, they lose. When people are overlooking them and they play the cream of the crop, then every now and then they'll give you one of those once-every-five-year upsets. Pitt, Georgia Tech, I'm in in Atlanta, Georgia Tech under Paul Johnson, the last three years have been uninspiring. The offense is uninspiring. Uh, There is not a lot of buzz for Georgia Tech football, pun intended, in Atlanta right now. I I just don't know where that's going. Nobody wants to play them. (laughs) <laughs> but by the same token, nobody, want, nobody wants to pick them to do much either, particularly now that Miami has got its stuff together and Virginia Tech is on solid footing with Justin Fuente. Where does that leave Georgia Tech playing for third against Pitt and, and Duke, really? And, and then, you know, in the Atlantic, as you mentioned, Clemson's clearly at the top. Florida State, we all want to see how they do under Willie Taggart. Uh, NC State, I just referenced. And then it's Wake and it's BC and... You know, Louisville was the, the power that they had that I really thought bolstered that league. Uh, but with everything that happened, it, Louisville is, is now going to have probably a dip. And I don't know if they're going to go into the abyss, J.C., but, uh, but they're certainly not going to be the power that they were with uh, Lakeem a couple of years ago. And you know, when, they had, when they had everything just kind of uh, rocking and rolling there, I, I, I think Louisville – not to mention all the drama outside there with Papa John Stadium now. It's no longer Papa John Stadium. Uh, that thing's a mess. Uh, so they would, it, what they really need is just another national power, and I, I don't know if it's coming out of the group I just mentioned. So Clemson, Miami, Florida State, Virginia Tech, hey, uh, those are four quality football teams. After that, I, I don't know what I have for you. Well, it, it, here's the thing, Mike, that, that... – that, that I've always said about the ACC. You know, there, there's some schools in that league, Wake Forest and Duke being the two, that, that, that you know, they're not going to really make a dent. You know, that, that they're schools that uh, they don't really care about football. And to be honest, you know, Wake Forest and athletics, you know, 
they have a small merry band of supporters, if you will. And that's nothing against you Demon Deacon fans out there. Don't all seven of you please don't get together and come here and 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 burn it down, all right? We're not trying to do that here, okay? Other schools in this league though, Mike, have what I call potential in football. Um and I'll use Syracuse and Pitt for example. You know, it's been years since Syracuse has been good, but Jim Brown played there, man. Donovan McNabb played there. They have an indoor stadium. That's kind of creepy, probably quirky. Um, Pittsburgh was a national power for years. And, you know, I'll use this as an example. When when Pitt and Syracuse came into the league, and I put this on Twitter today, and by the way, you can follow me at J.C. Sherbert. That's J.C. in my name. Uh, and you can follow Mike at, at Morgan on Air if you would like to do that. I, I tweeted today, when Pitt and Syracuse were invited into the league, I said, these teams are going to be tricky for some of these other teams, some of the teams that are in there right now. I'm not saying they're going to be great, but they're going to be tricky. Syracuse has an indoor stadium. They love to put them on the Friday night game, which is ridiculous. <laughs> if you're a Clemson, you have to go up there and play. Clemson lost. You know, going to Pitt in November is not pleasant. They have an outdoor stadium. It's cold. You're not used to that. Well, lo and behold, we're sitting here uh, through the greatest run in the history of Clemson football. Tigers are 40-4 and four the last three seasons. 40-4. and four. They've lost four games. Two of those have been to Alabama on a neutral field. What are their two regular season losses at home to Pitt and at Syracuse? Jaw-dropping. But tricky good. Last year, Miami undefeated waxed Notre Dame in the in the uh, what is it, Land Shark Stadium or whatever it's called now. <laughs> it's had so it many changes names. every week. It looks great though compared to the old Joe Robbie. But I mean, look, waxing Notre Dame. There, I think they're what second in the country. You know, and, and I'm actually talking to one of my neighbors who's a huge Miami fan, and he walks by and he's like, "Oh, he, I was like, who do y'all play this weekend?" He's like, "At Pitt." I'm like, "Watch out for Pitt." The next day, it's a noon kickoff up there in, in uh, Heinz Field or, or wherever they play. And, you know, I hear banging and moaning and cussing and throwing of things and stuff like that. And lo and behold, Pitt beats Miami. Um, Pittsburgh's where Tony Dorsett played and Dan Marino played and all these great players played. Boston College, Doug Flutie played there. They make it work right there at BC. Georgia Tech has won a national championship, uh, at, you know, in the last 30 years. Although they split it. North Carolina, <laughs> everybody considers them a sleeping giant because they have great resources. NC State cares about football. You know, Virginia Tech. Virginia was great under George Welsh at times. Um, and there's no reason why they shouldn't be good, even though they are kind of soft sometimes. Um, you know, then Miami, FSU. I, you know, every school in the league, when you look at it, you just want to shake them. Besides Duke and Wake Forest, who and that's why Duke and Wake Forest are relevant right now. If I were any of the other 12 schools in this conference and I see Duke and Wake Forest picked any higher than seventh in each division, I'm embarrassed. And I think David Cutcliffe's a great coach, and I have respect for what Klaus is doing at Wake. But I'm just embarrassed because, you know, after a while, like I mentioned earlier with the South Carolina thing, if a team starts finishing ahead of you in the division every single year and beating you on the field, you know, most of the time, they've passed you, you know? And, and so I, I do think the ACC has good coaches. Uh, I think that 2016, top to bottom, they were a better league than the SEC because of the quarterbacks in the league. 
Um, and I'm interested to kind of see how they put it back together and maximize. You know, North Carolina going three and nine last year. I don't care how many injuries they had. That's disappointing because they won a division title and it looks like they're back under Fedora, 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 Fedora. And by the way, we probably do need to mention his comments uh, that he made it at, at media days about the end of civilization if, if football changes the <laughs> rules and all that. But, um, you know, you look now I and mean, they're picked sixth this year and they've gone back toward the wilderness. And if you stay in the wilderness long enough and you get worse and worse and worse, then you go into the abyss, and that means you're not good for years. And so I, uh, I, I, I'm disappointed because I think that and – and, and another point, this is my final point on this, you look at the NFL numbers in the draft. Nearly every year, Mike, who are the top two leagues? The SEC is one, and the ACC is ACC. normally two. Yeah, yep. so so it's not like there aren't a gr- lot of great football players playing football in that conference. I think most of the programs need to just get it together um, and 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 understand that you know you all should be better than you are, uh, with the exception of Duke and Wake Forest. If there's one positive, uh, optimistic thing I could say, now this is a little bit skewed. Because the programs you just talked about do not have the resources that Clemson does. But let's be honest, for much of the 90s and much of the early 2000s, there wasn't that big of a difference between Clemson and, say, what NC State has been recently. Okay, It was a program that had a few blips here and there of good years, but they weren't playing for national titles. They were a pretty good distance from Florida State. Florida State wasn't exactly sweating Clemson. Clemson, we all remember the, the term that all the, the guys on game day like to use after every their annual disappointing loss to a team they had no business losing to. They would call it Clemsoning. That's all in the past now, obviously, thanks to what Dabo has done. But it's easy to look at the finished product of Clemson now and say, oh, yeah, Clemson's always been this good. This, this, is, this is their place in the college football vernacular not necessarily um <laughs> go back in time you know one one like that under tommy west one like that under tommy bowden uh they they took a flyer on dabo sweeney i mean they should write a they should do a 30 for 30 on just how dabo even got that job because it, it's incredibly unorthodox and then how many head coaches do you know that lose to their in-state rival five consecutive years and maintain employment. Uh, give give the give the second AD, not the guy who hired Dabo, but the guy that uh, was the AD during that time frame for not firing him. Because raise your hand if you're a Clemson fan and maybe you wanted Dabo fired after that fourth or fifth straight loss to the Gamecocks. There's some out there, believe me. Um, but they have given hope, perhaps, to the NC states of the world to the pits of the world, to the Georgia Tech if they get a new head coach of the world, to the North Carolina if they get out of the abyss uh, uh, of the world, that maybe there can be another uh, program in this league that rises not from the ashes but from that, that, that place in just above mediocrity, let's call it, which is where Clemson was for quite some time. Uh, maybe somebody else can make some type of major push. I'm not saying that any of those programs are going to make it to a playoff three straight years like Clemson. I don't think I don't think they have the overall facilities, the overall 
just vibe around that program to do it. I don't see any of those others ever being able to. Clemson is basically an SEC program playing in the in the ACC, just like Florida State is, just like Miami is. And that's the difference between you know Clemson uh, football and, and maybe you know sort of the what's already in place. And and look, Tommy Bowden you know, preached facilities and all that while he was there. And they kind of got the ball rolling on some things, and they gave Dabo some more. And Clemson's facilities were not, you know, that they weren't able to kind of compete against the Georgias and Auburns and Alabamas when, when kids would come there and, and, and all that. And, and Dabo kind of had a vision, um, and, and it took him a while, you know. I mean, they had to go, you know, that they he had a pretty good team his first full year with C.J. Spiller and James Davis, um, and, and they won a division. They went down to Tampa uh, and played Georgia Tech and Paul Johnson, who was playing with Chan Gailey's players, and they were really good, and lost. Um, but that was great. That was a breakthrough. Two years later, they win the ACC. Then they have a year, the Taj Boyd years, where they go and they beat LSU in the Peach Bowl or they beat Ohio State in an Orange Bowl. Um, and then, boom, you get the – one of the best quarterbacks, generational talent, um, and he elevates your program. But at the same time, Mike, they also upgraded their lines of scrimmage uh, through recruiting, and they also built some of the best facilities in college football. They did what you call investing in your program. Um, so if you're North Carolina or you're North Carolina State, and, and look, North Carolina does invest in its football program facilities-wise. Um, if you're – uh, Georgia Tech and Paul Paul Johnson, who for whatever reason has decided that because Clemson has all these facilities that that's why he can't beat Clemson on a recruit. No, Paul, it's because you're running an offense from 1957 <laughs> and enthusiasm for your program is at an all-time low because you hang in the balance every game. You know, one week, Paul, you're going to go out you're going to play Georgia Southern and you're going to beat them 38-34 or maybe lose. And then the next week, you're going to go play Florida State, and you're going to lose 38-34. And then you're going to play Clemson, and here's why you're not beating Clemson anymore, because Brent Venables has figured out how to scheme you up and stop everything that you run with your Southern Conference-level talent. And you go get blown out by Clemson, and everybody gets mad. Then you maybe go play Georgia close at times. Ooh, great. Georgia Tech needs a makeover. But look, Georgia Tech, as a football program – has aspirations of competing at the highest level. Louisville, you know, all these schools. Well, you got to go spend the money, you know. And and the difference, Mike, is that whereas Georgia Tech, when they're good, you know, they'll get 46,000 fans in there at historic Bobby Dodd Stadium right there, downtown Atlanta. I'm hoping to catch a few games there this year. Um, and it's loud. You have a problem getting a ticket. Yeah, it's yeah, it's kind of like Louis Grizzard said. You know, he called up Tech Ticket Office. It's like, yeah, I'd like to get tickets tickets for today's Georgia Tech game. What time does it start? Well, what what time can you be here? <laughs> you know, let me just say this too. To be fair, it, it, it is because I know a lot of Georgia Tech fans. I have neighbors that are Tech. It's a great fan base. Yeah. Obviously, uh, very intelligent, very successful in, in in specific majors. It's a great school. It's a great. I love everything about Georgia Tech. As somebody who lives here, I'd love to see Georgia Tech be relevant again. Uh, but your points on where it is under the current administration are very accurate. And they've got they've got a situation that I, I don't know how they're going to deal with it because, uh, again, it's never going to be consistently bad under Paul Johnson. I believe that. 
but I don't think it's ever going to be consistently good either. Either, and I and I do think Georgia Tech uh, does have enough going for it where they can be a player in this league. And I know there's there's a lot of talk about their academic requirements compared to your average school. Uh, maybe the, the, a lot has changed since Bobby Ross. I don't know, uh, but I I just refuse to believe they can't be better, and they can certainly be a lot more exciting and interesting. And right now. I mean, you put your finger on the pulse of Atlanta sports, and obviously Georgia's number one when it comes to college football, but there is a there is a chasm between Georgia and Georgia Tech. It's not much of a rivalry, even though they sprung an upset a couple of years back. Uh, I, I, I think Georgia Tech eventually will do better. I don't know if it's under Paul Johnson. Yeah, I, I'm going to say it won't be under Paul Johnson. But, you know, look, Georgia Tech has been – uh, has won championships in the ACC, and they, they've won it recently. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, when you consider that, uh, although I will say technically the NCAA did vacate their 2009 championship, um, you know, they've been to New Year's Day Bowls. I mean, they've been good, and they care about football, and I do love their fans. I, I feel bad for them sometimes. And, I, I you know, I, I think that – the academic requirement thing is bunk because if you look at the history of the Georgia Tech football program, it is historically one of the more successful programs nationally uh, mm-hmm. out there. If you look at look at their overall record in the Clemson series, if you don't believe me, I mean they they they're they're up there. They're in the Alabama fight song. Alabama in their fight song sings about Georgia Tech and how they need the Yellow Jackets need to go to a watery grave. That, I mean, his, they have some tradition and history. They make it work. But, you know, getting back to it, I think Georgia Tech is probably in a similar position to Pitt. Uh, Pitt is a private school, and they've got good academics and stuff, and they do have a football tradition. Um, but they've kind of kind of been in the wilderness a little bit, and I think Pat Narduzzi's good. But, you know, they play in a pro stadium. They're in the middle of a pro town, um, you know, Penn State won't play them, which I think is kind of bush league that they they don't want to play. Yes, um, but you know it, it it's tough. It, it's tough. They're kind of you know th- those are two historically very good programs that are in the wilderness. I'm going to call them wilderness boxed in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. They're in the wilderness, and unlike an Alabama who just said, "Okay, I, we have caged animal syndrome. We're going to go hire Nick Saban. We're done messing around. We're going to go back to being Alabama. Devil be damned." You know, Pitt and Georgia Tech, there's no magic bullet for those guys because of kind of what they are and how the game's evolved, the importance of facilities and recruiting and things of that nature. And you and you have to like I mean I think I think Narduzzi was a great hire I think Adazio is, is a is a fine coach and is doing what he can at Boston College to make them relevant even though to me that's one of the hardest jobs in college football if you've ever been to Boston you want to talk about something that doesn't register on the radar uh, college football and Boston College football it it it's just doesn't it, it doesn't resonate in that town. There's so many other things going on. It's a pro sports sports town. It's freezing cold, uh, and there hasn't been a whole lot to be gleeful about if you're an Eagle on the gridiron the last few years. But I I think there's been actually some good coaching hires in this league recently. I, I really do. But I just think there there's a ceiling for a lot of these programs. I came up with something the other day, Mike. You're not going to believe. Who is the worst coach in the ACC? I came up with Dave Doran or Larry Fedora. 
And, and, and you're going to think I'm crazy at first glance, but the, think about it. Rank them one through 14 and, and, and think about who you would take. <laughs> uh, you're talking about two coaches that are, you know, we're going to get into the hot seat conversation next week a little bit. Uh, although I'm going to try to keep it more positive next week and coaches on the rise as opposed to just manufacturing names on a hot seat list when they're not even on a hot seat, i.e. Jim Harbaugh, is not on a hot seat, folks. Oh, yeah. God, not a on a hot seat. Stop it, please. Dose of reality. We'll get into that next week when we talk Big Ten and coaches. But, no, I, I see your point. I mean, that those are two situations that, again, NC State should compete this year. Like they have a, to use a pro term, a franchise quarterback. Mm -hmm. If you've got that in college football, you should win minimum eight games. You should. Yeah, I think they have one of the bright young offensive coordinators in the game. And he comes from kind of that Arkansas State coaching tree, uh, the Malzahn. Eli Drinkwitz is his name. Um, I think Dave Doran's fortunes kind of turned around after Matt Canada left and he hired this guy and Finley came in. He was at Boise State for a while as well. Um, and, and look, honest to God, I think he saved Dave Doran's job last year because State did go 9-4. and four. They did lose to Wake Forest. I thought they underachieved, quite frankly. Um, but it was his offense, Mike, not the defense that had all the NFL talent on it. Their whole D-line got drafted. Um, that, that sort of kept them in games and allowed them to win. There were a lot of 38-31, 35-28, 34-26 uh, type of football games last year. Um, so, so, And I think this year with the personnel they've lost on D, they're going to have to outscore people. And I'm excited to see kind of what Drinkwitz puts together in doing it because his game plan against a Clemson defense nobody could figure out last year um, not even Alabama all that well um, was the best I've seen against that bunch. It was a 38-31 Clemson win in Raleigh, but State moved the ball and had him kind of off the off balance the whole day. So I, I think that's helping him there. Uh, Doran probably doesn't have the worst coaching staff in the league by a mile, but he probably is the worst coach in my opinion. <laughs> Either him or Larry Fedora, maybe Paul Johnson. By the way, we're running out of time, but we'll, we'll talk about yeah. some, some, some great <laughs> national matchups early on uh, next week. Virginia Tech at Florida State, September 3rd. I mean, uh, liking that. Let, let's, let's dive right in, shall we, on a, on a Monday night and, and kind of figure out uh, where exactly those programs might be early on. Little little how do you do for Willie Taggart right off the bat against Justin Fuente and a Virginia Tech program that certainly seems to be on the rise. So we'll, we'll get into that. Uh, we'll get into the Big Ten some. They had their media days, Big 12. Uh, is it going to be the same old, same old Oklahoma, uh, Texas possibly, and then and then what, TCU, and, and then the other seven? Uh, in the Big Ten, is Michigan finally going to get to that next level, or, or is it Ohio State's league where there's nobody's in that category right now. We'll, we'll get into all those things and some other stuff, too, next week. Once again, I want to thank uh, our many sponsors, including Brent Skinner, BP Skinner, Clothiers.com, one of the best nationwide. That's why there was a buzz at SEC Media Days, actually people talking about some of the folks that were decked out, some uh, national personalities and even some coaches that were clients of Brent Skinner because, again, he's he's truly not a local guy. He is a national guy, and he will make you look your very best, and he will come to you. You don't have to go to him. He'll come straight to you no matter where you are in the country. Just go ahead and check out the website, bpskinnerclothiers.com. 
Give him a shout. Schedule an appointment. He's going to come to your home or your office. Custom make everything that you want and need. I didn't even know they had custom made shirts. I knew about custom made suits, but I got some custom made shirts. And I mean, the moment I put one on, JC, I started getting compliments. It's amazing how much better those are than what you get off the rack. And really, the difference in price is negligible. Go ahead and give him a shout. That's Brent Skinner, BP Skinner Clothiers. Dot com. Uh, JC, for those that are still new to the whole podcast thing, we're in a podcast nation. Tell the folks how they can become part of this terrific, soon-to-be award-winning podcast. The best thing you can do right now, if you're just listening to this, let's say you get it. You, let's say you found it on 24-7 Sports. Let's say you're doing the SoundCloud thing. Well, get off SoundCloud right now. Go to iTunes if you have an iPhone. Go to Google Play if you have an Android and hit subscribe. It's that simple. It's free. There's no cost to it. You get a little notification every time we have a new episode, so you can get your JC and Morgan fix as it happens in real time. We're also on other podcasting apps like Podcast Mania, like Stitcher. So if you have those apps, be sure to go and hit the subscribe button. Go to the iTunes store uh, as well if you're on iTunes and rate us five stars. We think we deserve that. And uh, if you're not going to rate us five stars, don't go rate us, but uh, we appreciate uh, our growing audience. Do want to give a shout-out to my man on 24-7 Sports, big Georgia fan. His username is Curb Appeal, like Kirby Appeal. Uh, mm-hmm. Sent me a message the other day, was thankful that we were back. Uh, said we were um, his favorite college football podcast, and uh, I just want to let you guys know, or let you know Curb Appeal. I really, really appreciate that, so I wanted to give you a shout-out on today's episode. That's great. Love to hear that. And uh, again, the the quality of our feedback, it's uh, sometimes a little bit overwhelming, but very flattering. We appreciate it from uh, people all over, not just uh, the Southeast. This is not really a regional deal, but all over the country tuning in. It's a good way to entertain you for an hour. And the great thing about a podcast is you can listen to it whenever the heck you want. Uh, you're, you're not at the mercy of uh, our schedule, whatever is convenient for you. What's going to be convenient for us is to duck out now and join you again next week for J.C. Sherbert, Mike Morgan saying so long for now. Enjoy the rest of this hot summer in July, and we'll be back with you in a week. Something extraordinary has happened to Judy Sizemore's closet, making it feel more like a closet. 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 An area that once caused claustrophobia now has enough space Space. to hold all of Judy's striped boat neck sweaters. And Judy Sizemore has a lot of striped Striped. boat neck neck sweaters. sweaters. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha, through October 13th. The Container Store, where space comes from. Jess, it's happening. Whoa, Tina, what are you doing in my car? Space is here now. No closet will be left behind. Did you say closet? Yes, the Container Store Custom Closets are up to 25% off. It doesn't matter the size or shape. Space is coming to them all. You're not serious. Space isn't a joke, Jess. How long do we have? Through October 13th. All right, buckle up. The Container Store Custom Closet Sale is here with up to 25% off all systems, including Alpha. The Container Store, where space comes from.